Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! We're finishing. My my name's Scott, by the way. Nice to meet you all. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be here. Make sure this works. We're we're finishing uh, a section on prayer um, because we thought uh, that... Nobody feels, talking about prayer is like talking about your ab routine, nobody's killing it, you know? So we thought a lot of people don't uh, feel like they can do prayer very well, and so we wanted to take time as a community to talk about what it is and, and how we can enter into it. Uh, nobody likes the author who promotes their own book, um, so I'm going to do that. But uh, I didn't know if we were going to have any here. Look, I made a book about prayer, which I never thought I'd do in my lifetime, but uh, one of the things I think is really important about thinking about prayer is prayer is not trying to get God's attention. That's voodoo. Uh, prayer is about awakening to the voice of, and work of God in your own life now and in the lives of other people and, and seeing that. And so I've actually been thinking a lot about why we kind of stop praying in, in a way, like what kind of things as we go through life as human beings, what, what makes us just go, I don't know, I don't really need to do this anymore, or it doesn't really work. And I I think there's a few reasons. Three that I've been thinking about are, I don't know what to say. I don't know know the words anymore. Um, I can't really be myself in it. And then thirdly is, I think it's all up to me, and surely it can't be. Um, And so I want to talk about, is it all up to me? Uh, And I'm woefully unprepared to to hit this topic, but we'll just struggle through it. So... um, we're going to, I know it's Palm Sunday and we'll get to the passage of Palm Sunday, but I've actually been spending the last three months just reading this one passage in Mark 9 over and over and over again. And uh, it's been excavating me, and so we're going to do some public excavation this morning. But I'll read it to you. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but if you're not, the story goes like this. This is right after Jesus goes up on a mountain with uh, Peter, James, and John, and and like glows white, and Elijah and Moses shows up there, and this crazy happening, and they're coming down the mountain together, and then this happens. So when, this is in Mark 9, 14 through, I don't know, to when it ends. When they came back to, uh, to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? you how long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw the boy into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has uh, this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. 
And when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when, he came, when Jesus came into the house, the disciples began questioning him privately and says, and said, why could we not drive it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Um, so weird story, um, very Frank Peretti, uh, a, lot of, a lot of demons, and that's a, those are Christian novels about spiritual warfare. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, so lots of, and we're not going to have a discussion about demons and evil spirits and possessions like that. I really want to focus on this these few sentences, because these are the ones that really have hit me. Because um, this, this is about a, a dad, a parent, bringing something wrong with their kid to Jesus and going, can you, if you can do anything. And then Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And then the parent says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Um, what I'd like to, I think we should start by just kind of discussing uh, power and all of that, and my favorite way to do that is talking about superheroes. So uh, there's a lot of, you know, we're in this weird time where Hollywood's making millions off of comic books, and so we just have all these superhero movies all the time. And my favorite superhero is Iron Man. Uh, Iron Man, the the first movie with Robert Downey Jr., is like a perfect movie. It's amazing. It's so good, because it's the story about a guy who is wealthy and has a lot of power because he makes weapons in the world, and then he sees the destruction that that's doing. And so he tries to write that by making something to counteract that. And the scene where he's in, uh, it's a fascinating like starter story or origin story. But there's this one scene where he's like finally, he's kind of made the suit and he's checked it out. And then he's like watching TV. And there's these just like jerks in the world who are like taking over this village and stuff. And so he's like, I'm gonna do something about it, right? And so, and this is kind of how we experience the world too, right? We see these awful things happening on TV or on our screens. And then, dun da da dun he's like, hi, I'm here. Guess who I am? I'm the biggest stick in the room. And then boom, and you know, there's the punch. And then lasers, and I got the other lasers. And you get double lasers, right? And it's really satisfying to see that because you know, we often witness like these awful things and I feel this like invitation to like, I wish I had a suit that could fly over and like take care of this situation, whatever situation it is, right? And the thing with like superhero stories that are, are disappointing is that they never really help us with real problems. Like even Iron Man, which is a great movie, it still devolves into like, He's got an evil coworker who makes another suit, and then they fight each other in Los Angeles by throwing outies at each other. And that's what the movie is. Like, all superhero movies end up with, like, somebody who's got something powerful, and then somebody evil who's got something powerful, and they duke it out. But they never really help us from any real problems. And I actually was wondering at one time, like, is there any comic books that actually try to deal with real problems? And there is. There's one comic book. I should have brought it, because I, I have it at home. Uh, but Jones was throwing up last night, so I, lot, I forgot a lot of things. Um, Superman tries to solve world hunger. And this is a big, this is a comic book. It's oversized. It's like this big. It's called Peace on Earth. 
I thought we'd walk through it for a little bit. So, uh, Superman hears some cry of this a woman in Metropolis, saves her, takes her to the shelter. And the woman at the shelter says, yeah, she's malnourished. Actually, there's a food shortage. Uh, there's a food crisis right now. And he was unaware of this. And so he thinks about it, and he goes, i got to do something about this. So he goes before Congress and the UN, and he says, hey, I want, I want you to let me for, to gather all the food that I can, and then for one day, let me go everywhere in the world, be able to cross borders and deliver the food to people. And everybody's like, what's your angle? What's your, you know, what are you trying to do? And so, but they're like, okay, let's just see what Superman does. So he spends, you know, he uses all his super strength, gathers all this food together. And then for this one day, he goes around the world and he starts delivering food. Um, he starts delivering food. So he goes to the favelas of Rio de Janeiro and starts handing it out to these poor kids um, who are on the street. He goes to uh, places that are wracked in famine and, and, and starvation, and he hands out food. He goes to uh, places that are uh, war-torn and civil war, and the infrastructures are broken down, and starts handing out food to people. So he's seeing kind of the real plight of humanity. And then he goes to this one place, um, and he's greeted by uh, an army is there waiting for him. And they're like, hey, Superman, we know you're super busy doing all this good stuff. Why don't you just leave the food with us? We'll hand it out to the people. And Superman's like, hmm, I'm okay. I'll hand it out. But what he realizes is he's doing is that this simple act of giving food is usurping the power that they have over the people. And this actually happens a few times till one of the times the whole army's there to meet him. And without even having a discussion, they just blow up the food. They shoot a missile and blow up the food. And Superman fails in his mission. The man of steel, the, the most boring superhero because he's invincible, can't accomplish this. So he locks himself away, puts on his robe, and he thinks about it for a while. And everybody's like, what? what's going on? Where's Superman? He seems his mission failed. And then he writes a blog to the entire world. And he, he, he says this. This is what he says. He says, as, this is what the artist, this didn't really happen if you don't know that. Okay, he doesn't. Okay. In the comic book, this is what he says. As you know, I have always tried to provide comfort for those in want, pain, and fear. And many times I'd consider taking stronger action, because he could, Superman, to help the world. But I realized such measures could be short-sighted and disastrous. I've tried to relieve world hunger, but I encountered heartbreaking poverty, not only in the slums and wastelands of the world, but within selfish men's souls. And I now see that taking on this responsibility was too ambitious for one man, even a superman. The welfare of earth and all its people will always be my primary concern. But if there is a solution to the problem of hunger, it must be one that comes from the compassionate heart of man and extends outward towards his fellow man. I think we know this. I mean, often we get caught up in conversations about power and we need this bigger gun or this bigger weapon or this more of this political power or whatever. But we, I, I think those of us who've come to church and are in this kind of spiritual conversation and, he, and, and lots of other people know that what really is at the source of the problems in the world is kind of what's in our hearts, right, in our being. And when we're asked to pray for that, when we're confronted with this reality, we know that we need to pray for people and what's going on inside of them. And I... I, you know, I, I grew up in like a religious 
community. And like this one school I went to, we would have a day of prayer. And we had this like long list of things that we had to pray through, like countries and leaders and all of these things. And it was boring as a teenager, but also I was like, what are we doing? Like, are we, is this doing anything? Like, are we spiritual wizards? Like, I think I've made this joke here before, but I actually think like Harry Potter, when I I grew up in a culture that was like against Harry Potter because it was like sorcery and all that, but I actually think that they were against it because it proposed a different wizard story, you know, (laughs) a conflicting one. We're like, that's not how wizardry works. It looks like when we put out our hands and we pray for people. You know, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that because we have to actually embody what we think that we're doing. But is there like an invisible light coming out of our hands when we're, are we like, you know, spiritual iron men who are just like, we're praying for our leaders, you know, and that light goes and then like hits their heart and they're like, oh, I feel it right now, you know, and I'm changing. And like, what are we doing? And I think, I think we can sit in that for a long time until we get confronted with something that we can't change. And this is where, like, I think we go, is it really up to us? Like, how is God involved with this? Um, These are my kids, my wife and I's kids, Anders, Elsa Jane, Elsa, named before Frozen, and then Baby Jones. Um, And they're cute. You know, that's their survival skill. Uh... (laughs) Pretty much if I had any way to describe, like, my outfit, it's always, like, tired blank. You know, that's what being a dad is, a parent is. But uh, Anders, uh, a few years ago now, um, he's, he has a, 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 a degenerative eye disease that has no cure. It's hereditary. There's other people in our family that have it. Uh, and we were unaware of it. We thought we made it past it because he had a 50% chance of getting it. Same with Jones. And then... Um, Around seven, he, he found out that he had it. And it, uh, there's no, yeah, there's no cure. And I'll, I'll say this, like, he, we're working with some really amazing doctors at uh, KCI Institute, and um, there's some really good things. There's some things that will never be changed uh, that, are, that are tough to deal with as a parent. And, um, you know, you, one of the surprising things about being a parent is, there's times when you really are annoyed by your children and, and you think you're an awful parent. Um, and I remember I was in a season where just, you know, you're just doing the day-to-day things. And I was just like, do I even really love my kids? And then this information came to us. And I, like, I was unaware that there was this hidden cistern, this hidden well that had been filling. And when this information hit, it like cracked open and I could not stop crying for like two weeks just I had to travel like two days after we found out and I was just walking through the Denver airport just crying like (laughs) I don't know if people were like what a horrible flight that guy was on no but I was just (laughs) it just couldn't stop it just it it didn't stop coming and at this time um I was doing this Ignatian prayer practice um which means you you pray the specific way for five hours a week it's it, it teaches you a lot. Mostly it teaches you how to fail because um, it feels like impossible to do. Um, but one of the things that you do in this practice is you, uh, you, you imagine imaginative prayer. An imaginative prayer is simply you will read a passage um, 
And then ask the Spirit to lead you in it, and you, and you just imagine yourself in that passage, partaking in what was going on in the story in the Scriptures. And this particular morning, uh, the story was Jesus comes to his hometown, goes to the synagogue, and they're like, hey, would you get up and read? And so he does, and he opens this passage to Isaiah, and he says, you know, today I, I, I proclaim to you good news. I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to bring sight to the blind. And I am, like, imagining, oh, there it goes, close. I'm imagining being in the synagogue, and I'm, like, in the back, kind of watching everything happening. And when he says, give sight to the blind, he looks at me and, and says, I want to heal your son. I want to heal your son. He says it twice. And I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. Like, do I need to become more, like, charismatic and have, like, a prayer meeting every night at our house and we all get in a circle and pray over Anders for his eyesight to be healed? Or do I, like, wait for science to catch up? Because our doctors are like, there's a lot of gene therapy going on and very well in his lifetime there will be possibly, like, a solution for his, uh, his disease. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I really don't. And I think when we hit the problem of, like, is it all up to me in this idea of God's sovereignty or God's will and God's authority in the world, like, often we are confronted with something where, like, I don't, I don't know what to think about this anymore. Like, I don't know, I don't know how, to, how to solve this. <clears throat> and, I, and I don't. I don't have a sermon for you that says, and so this is how we solve it. Because uh, I don't know how to understand this seeming paradox of a world that's filled with hurt and suffering and awful things, and yet God is still sovereign in it all. Here's what I do know as a participant in this world and as a Christian, because I think often, I was like, I've been reading this passage, and I was like, oh, I'm the dad. I'm the dad who's like, can you do anything? And here's what I've started to understand, at least that I would believe and I would stand up in front of all of you and say is true, is that God is really, 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 really detailed. And anytime I'm aware of that intentionality, I'm filled with wonder. I don't know how to see, I don't know, yeah, anyways. So I wanna, when we think about like prayer and participating in the world and praying to a God who we believe is sovereign in the world. But when we're confronted with like, how much of this is up to me and how much of this is up to you and what is this participation, I would like us to look at it as not something, I don't have the answer to solve it with our brains. If you have a PhD and a theological degree and have figured out God's sovereignty, please come and preach next week. Uh, We'd love to hear that. Um, What I've been doing, though, is starting to understand and participate with this through participation, um, through actually my body instead of just my mind. And our our friend Dickie Rohr says, spiritual truths cannot be known through, spiritual truths cannot be known through observation, but by participation. And so I want to offer you three kind of prayerful practices of participation when we deal with, like, how is God involved in our world? And is God sovereign in his authority? So number one is, I think we need to watch our language, not swearing, but think about how we went to the words to describe 
our, our participation in the world. Uh, we, on spring break, we went to the Redlands, or Redwoods in Northern California, and they're magical. Like, <clears throat> there was this moment where we went to, like, the oldest part of the forest, and it's, it's really hard to describe how large these trees are. I mean, they're 400 feet tall. Like, the lowest branch starts at 190 feet. They're, the biggest tree in the park is it takes 17 people to hold hands to make the circumference of the tree. That's how large it is. These trees are like 2,000 years old. And we had a moment when we were walking where we ended, we, we're, we ended up in this grove of trees. And the Celtic Christians have this idea of thin space where like the seemingly space between our world and the spiritual world gets really thin. And I had this moment where we were there and I was like, oh, we're somewhere. And it was like we were, we were, we were confronted by organisms that have lived for 2,000 years. And there was like a, if I could describe it as a wisdom to that space, that was palpable. Walking in the midst of these trees that have been around for centuries, millennia, and it was like, there's a great poem by this poet David White, and he says, if you ever get lost in the woods, just stop. The trees know, the trees know where they are. <laughs> and it, it was just participating in this wisdom that was there. But what, uh, what I think that we need to, that, that I've, I've noticed in my own life and it, it maybe to you is that we actually use a lot of language that was given to us by the Industrial Revolution that, that we started to adopt after we were able to build machines and technology and these kind of manufacturing systems. Um, you know, like, no, like when we, we'll say this, we'll be like, I'm wired this way. You're not wired. That's circuitry, you know? That, like, you're a living, breathing organism. You're some kind of animal on this world that, that, that is not wired. You know, we have systems, but we're not wired. And so when we say God is in control, like, what do we think about? Do we think about, like, control, like a remote control, like a binary system, like off and on? Oh, I have faith or I don't have faith. Well, is it so binary? Like, what if we, what if we thought of, uh, uh, these words and our spiritual lives and our experiences is more biological. And when we say, like, God is in control is not a phrase in the scriptures, but we do believe in sovereignty. But what if we thought of this in more biological ways? Like, could we say that we see that in systems and weather patterns and tides, in migration, in instinct, these kinds of things that are in our natural world? Um, and, and, and started thinking of ourselves maybe less as binary, like off or on, like a, like a robot or a machine, but more, what if, we, what if we thought about our experiences as seasonal? Sometimes your, your life is full of fruit and you're giving that out, and yet sometimes there's a winter, and that all kind of goes underground and it hides away for a while, and it does its work, and it prepares itself for the next system, right? These are much more uh, ways that invite us into that there are these these natural ways and, and, and spiritual ways that God is participating in, instead of thinking we're just some kind of like puppet on a marionette string or some kind of thing that's being controlled. There's a great poem um, that helps me uh, align with this by Mary Oliver, and we miss Mary Oliver, um, but we still have her work. And I actually think we gave this out one time, but I'll read it to you. It's called uh, Wild Geese. It says, you do not have to be good you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. 
You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about your despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of Number two, uh, embodied response. Uh, a few of us went to our friend Ryan's funeral yesterday. Uh, and when, I f- when Holly and I found out about Ryan's death, um, we were in this rural part of or- southern Oregon, and I saw this on the back of a church sign. And so I took a picture of it. Um, like, I'm, I'm a Christ follower because of the resurrection I am. I'm also a Christ follower because of the shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. Because the story of God would not make sense to me if, if, if it never participated in crying at your friend's funeral, which we did yesterday. Because it would mean that Jesus was insulated from the actual experience of being a human being. And being a human being is really hard and it has a lot of suffering. And I actually, what's compelling to me about the Jesus story is I see a God that's not above it or protecting itself from it, but is right in the midst of it. And I, if I looked to Jesus and if I asked God, like, why do, you know, like when when jerks die, you're like, that makes sense. But when like the best of you dies, you're like, I don't know what this is anymore. I I really don't. And yesterday for me, that funeral was, I was like, I don't know what this is anymore. And I don't know if there's an answer for that. I've read some books. I've read Job. I've read a lot of these things. And it seems like nobody actually gets an answer for it. I mean, if you have a book that you read and somebody's like, oh, here's the answer, great. I, don't, I haven't found it. Everybody's kind of like, I don't know. But what I see, if, if I'm looking for Jesus as the model of being a human who's connecting with God, I see, I see Jesus participating. I see Jesus being there. And I think if we want to participate with God's authority and power and sovereignty in the world, where he's asking us to do it is right now in our very human lives. By not insulating ourselves from the terrors and the hard things, but being right there and grieving and weeping and being there. Um, And that means going to our friends' funerals and going, I don't get this anymore, but I'm weeping and Jesus is doing that too. You know, Palm Sunday is like a bit of a joke, uh, if you didn't know that. Like, uh, so, you know, everybody's really excited about Jesus and his ministry and what he's going to do. They really think that the Messiah is going to overthrow the Roman Empire, so it's going to be this, like, power and this usurping of power, and we're going to win and stuff like that. And, uh, and he rides in on, like, a little donkey. And if you look very, I, should, I didn't have time last night, but I was going to make a little drawing <laughs> of it because if you look all the artwork most of the artwork they make the donkey pretty big like it you know it kind of makes it like a noble steed but if you've ever seen like a grown man ride a donkey this is like a great video that I like 
uh, it's hilarious. It's not funny. <laughs> or it's not, it's not like a, 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 an image of power. This is what it looks like. <laughs> Does that look like the revolution we all signed up for? <laughs> no. It's funny. And I think what's funny and what the joke is is that the same people who are like, here's our king, were the same people who are like, let's kill this guy, right? Because the joke is that God isn't trying to make us powerful. He's trying to heal us and, and, and love those who uh, we think are going to take away our power. And, if, and we, will, we will totally kill the God who's not willing to keep that system going. And I actually think, like, where we can start participating with God, and please make fun of me after this that I'm going to show a picture of Gandalf. Uh, please, just after this service, make fun of me that I showed uh, Gandalf and a quote from The Hobbit. But I was in my hotel room this last week at this thing, and The Hobbit was on, and I was watching it because I was not doing anything else. And this line came out, and I forgot about it, but it, I think Tolkien is hitting on something. like Some believe it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. It's the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay, small acts of kindness and love. And I think our very embodied participation with God in the world in our lives is where we start to see and experience God. Because really we're talking about not just like knowing God's sovereignty, but knowing, knowing that in the world. And then take heart. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trials and tribulations, so take heart. I have overcome the world. I know the last time I talked, I did this practice, um, but it's still, I still do it weekly, if not daily, and I'd like to do it again because uh, maybe, because I know that like you all come to church like once every month, so some of you probably missed it, but if you can find your heartbeat, if you can find your heartbeat uh, in your chest, you know, in your neck, in your in your arm, and if you don't know how to find your heartbeat, take an emergency aid class, okay? But it finds your heartbeat, and I think one of the ways that we can start to experience and know God's um, participation and rule and intentionality in our lives is just to simply, we can start with the place that our heart is something that we're mostly unaware of, and yet our very existence relies on it that our very being in this world is because of something that we're not in charge of. That we didn't ask for it, we didn't pick it out, it was a gift given to us. And that our very lives are, are, are a gift. This is the gift of existence that God wants us to participate in. And that God is, is in there as well. We can take it a step further and know that our breath uh, is, yeah, we can control it, we can hold it, but really it's something that works automatically. And so our very being, again, is, is, is held together by something that we are not in control of. One of the first names of God sounds like breathing. And so the very first people were like, yeah, you know what God is? God is like the, the breath in our lungs. We sing that song, right? We sing that song. We can take it a step farther and know that the like the way that our world is in uh, orbit around the sun, it's the, spark, it's the sliver that allows life to flourish on this planet. And so, again, there's another aspect of just being in this world that's not in charge, that we're not in charge of, that gives us life. And could these be these starting points for us to not 
know about God's sovereignty, but know and participate in that and know that God is the God of our, the giver of our lives is, is very involved in our lives and that we would stay in prayer because prayer is, is not trying to get that God's attention, but, but um, beginning to see the voice and work of God in our lives. That is the spirit, that spirit of feeling like rejected that we are trying to be cast out. And that is the spirit that, that Jesus is coming into and saying, I'm, I'm bringing you into life. Because when the disciples took him privately and they said, why couldn't we drive this spirit out? Jesus said, this kind can only come out by prayer. So would you stand with me? And I'll give you the benediction. Um, may you this week in the crazy, wonderful, chaotic world that we live in, that you would not just know, but you would know the very intention and love of a God who's really, 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 really detailed. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.